Tonight we are continuing our series in the Psalms, and I am going to take some time with Psalm 127. Uh, We, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we had a group gathered at the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Boston Temple, this morning for our first weekly Sunday morning worship service. This Church of the Cross is in a new season beginning today of going to two services on a Sunday, and we had a wonderful time together there. But because this was a new thing for Church of the Cross, I decided to come to a place in the Psalter that a lot of you, if you've been around Church of the Cross, have a good bit of familiarity with. Because if I say, unless the Lord builds, you could probably finish the sentence. You've heard it enough times. Um, But actually, I don't think I've ever preached from this text, despite the fact that you've heard it a lot, at least just in short form. So we're going to come back to this text that's one of our two theme verses um, for the six years that we've been at ministry in the city of Boston. And uh, it's paired alongside Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Alongside Psalm 127, 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord keeps watch over the city, those who watch stay awake in vain. And so my hope is, if you're new with us tonight, that you'll get a glimpse into some of what our key principles are as we seek to do ministry in the city. And that if you've heard this a lot, that you're just going to get a great refresher and maybe hear something new about uh, how we think about the basic principle in this text of Psalm 127. And uh, nothing too complex tonight. The principle is quite simple. It's the principle of being dependent upon the Lord, being dependent upon God. And wherever you are in your Christian life, whether you're just asking questions to get to know who Jesus is, or you've been walking with Jesus for your whole life, as far as you know, that this is something that we all benefit from understanding a little bit better, the idea of being dependent. So I want to read the psalm. It's short, it's five verses, and then uh, look at it a little bit together. We, we read it earlier, but we'll read it again. So here it is, Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build, build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So there it is, Psalm 127. In verse 1, the builder needs the Lord to build in order for his building to count. In uh, verse 1 also, the watchman needs the Lord to keep watch in order for his watching to count. In verse 2, the ceaseless laborer needs to take a deep breath and realize that it's the Lord who provides for us and that his overanxious work is pointless and a betrayal of God's generous and gracious provision. And then in verses 3 through 5, The one who seeks to build a family and enjoy the benefits of a family, particularly in that day, the benefits of security and stability, must understand that children are a gift from God. In other words, that there's nothing that we can do of our own to make this happen, that it's God's gift that serves as the basis for what they're seeking to accomplish. So the idea here is that in each and every case in Psalm 127, um, from establishing a home to establishing a community, which is what watching over a city would entail, that you're protecting a community to establishing a family. 
The thing that's highlighted is our dependence upon the Lord. Our dependence upon Him. Which means that in every area of life, we don't just have to limit it to these areas, these three or four areas that are mentioned in the psalm, but in every area of our life, what this psalm is teaching is that we're dependent upon God to make that area mean something. To make it work, if you will. To make our efforts count. The idea of the word vain in Psalm 127 is that without God actually coming and working with us, that our work is worthless or purposeless in some ways. And obviously you can understand human work from a very human perspective, just about work and achievement. And I don't mean to deny that there are things that we do outside of a position of faith that means something. But what the psalm says is that those labors that we're doing, unless they're accompanied by God, don't really count. Here's the way the psalmist puts it at the end of Psalm 90. He says, establish the work of our hands, O Lord. Establish the work of our hands. This idea that viewing work just from the perspective or, or these daily activities just from the perspective of our human achievement is to miss an incredibly important perspective. The perspective of faith, the perspective that we preach and teach and learn about in this church of the fact that God is the one who secures and enables the ultimate results and fruitfulness of our labors. I love um, Proverbs 21, 31, which says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. It's the same kind of idea, that the ultimate results belong to God himself. Uh, As a father of four kids, I I obviously get the, the fun privilege of getting to teach them different things. A couple years ago, we went to Maine on vacation, and we decided to do some fishing. And uh, I'm not much of a fisherman, so I wouldn't want to teach any of you how to fish, but they don't know any better. So, um, so I got to teach my kids how to fish. And I want to give you this as an illustration for what Psalm 127 is actually teaching here. Um, if, if, uh, if you've ever taught a child how to fish, you know that the way you teach a child how to fish or how to cast is you, you get around the child... And you put your hands over their hands. And then you grab the, 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 uh, the rod with them and you, you, you pull the rod back and then you, you, you jerk it forward. You know, you hope you don't knock them over when you do that. Um, but the whole time, they're doing the same thing. Their hands are on the rod. Their hands are on the reel. They're starting to spin it in. If you catch a fish, well, they caught the fish. And that's kind of the way it works. That is a picture of what Psalm 127 is teaching us about our own work and labor in the world. That the Father, in a sense, has his arms wrapped around you. And what the psalmist says in verse 1 is, you know, if I'm I'm building and God's not actually around me building as I was around my children casting uh, the rod or the the lure or whatever we say. I'm not a great fisherman. Uh, Don't use fishing analogies a lot. (laughs) But... If, if God wasn't around us, then it doesn't work. And it's a beautiful picture of our dependence upon the Lord. So that's, that's what the psalmist teaches, teaching dependence. And dependence leads to uh, humility. Paul says in, in the passage we read in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. That is, God did what only God can do. God made it work. Yeah, we showed up. Yes, the horse was made ready for battle. But God made it work. God caused the growth. And then he says this. He said, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. 
but only God who gives the growth. Which is what Paul's saying is, look, we, we get it. I mean, children don't get it when you're teaching them how to fish, but we understand as God's children that when we have things that work, God gets the glory and the, and the praise and the credit, which leads us to this place of, of, of humility in our dependency because we know that we couldn't have cast it out very far without God at our side and embracing us and enabling us to do what we do. And this makes us boast in Him. The New Testament is clear numerous times about boast in the Lord. We boast, we brag about Him. That's what we're doing when we worship God. We praise Him. We're lifting Him up. We're enthroning Him on our praises because He's so good to come alongside of us and make our work work. It's really easy to forget, though. It's easy to forget our dependence. We're, we live in an independent you know, a culture that prizes, especially in Boston, you know, the, the, the foundation of our country's freedom or the founding place of our country's freedom and uh, the revolution and all these things. You know, we love freedom. We love independence. We love being self-sufficient. That's what we love. And so it's really easy for us in our lives to begin to experience some kind of fruitfulness from our labors and to forget that God was the one who was enabling this to happen and, and then to begin to move instead of dependence, which leads to humility, more into a kind of independence, or I would even just say a forgetfulness that leads to a kind of pride. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, uh, this is the best biblical illustration about the problem of this, is admiring the great city that he has built from the rooftop of his palace. And he's overlooking this beautiful city, And it says in Daniel 4, it says, this is what he says. He says, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And then the narrator says, And the words were still in the king's mouth. There fell a voice from heaven. And here's what God does. He says, Okay, you forgot. I'm going to remind you of your dependency. O Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men. You'll become a beast, essentially. Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. This kind of pride that's depicted here in Daniel 4 is depicted purposefully as a beastly kind of thing. Meaning, it takes, it diminishes our imago Dei, our being created in the image of God, when we begin to take that independence for ourselves and it makes us less and less like humans created in God's image and more and more like beasts who take glory for every prey that they kill and every accomplishment that they gain because they don't know any better. And pride distorts and diminishes our humanity. And verse 1 of Psalm 127 moves us away from that. It's a reminder to us again tonight that we do depend upon the Lord as we study, as we work, as we raise children, as we build relationships, we should say, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor build in vain. As we think about this this new season of ministry at Church of the Cross, my deep heart for our community is that we would be marked as as a people of dependence. And with that dependence then as a people of humility and meekness, and kindness, that we won't push our way over others, that we won't push our way into things, but that we'll walk knowing our place, knowing that God is on the throne and that we're not, and that we'll be marked by this kind of dependence. And that's one of the reasons why this verse has played such a key role for us over these first six years, is we want to be a people who know that we're dependent 
and who are reminded of that again and again because it's so easy for us to forget. But what I love, and this is the second and last point of this sermon, what I love about this psalm is um, as it reminds us of dependency, it then moves in verse 2 to something wonderful and beautiful and something that I know every one of us in this room needs to hear because we live in this city and we move at a pace that's probably unhealthy. But this is what verse 2 says. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So I've just urged you to say, remember that you're dependent. But then the question is, so who are you dependent upon? What is he like? What's his nature? What's his character? To go back to the illustration before of, of a dad with his arms wrapped around his son or daughter to teach them how to fish. There's a beautiful picture here which actually says that, you know, instead of having his arms wrapped around us and fishing with us, that God has actually told us to go and take a nap in the tent and he's going to fish for us. And while we're sleeping, he's going to provide the fish and the provision is going to come even when we're asleep and not exerting our great effort and attempt. That he's a God who, the, one of the ways that you, you can translate this the way it has it in, in the version we read, for he gives to his beloved sleep, but you could also translate it for he provides for his beloved in their sleep. A beautiful picture of a God who lavishes his children with wonderful gifts. I love, um, the, and, and you see this picture, I mean, Jesus spends his, most of his ministry trying to remind us as his disciples that, that actually the father that he's come to represent is a father who's just like this. A father who not only comes around us and helps us, but a father who puts us to sleep and actually begins to work on our behalf, even though we're spent and broken and afraid and everything else that we are. Think about what um, the, the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15 of, of the prodigal son, of the son who goes off in rebellion and then comes back. And what does the father do? He lavishes gifts upon this wayward son. He kills the fattened calf for this wayward son teaches us to ask and we shall receive. He teaches us about prayer and compares the heavenly father to earthly father. He says, which earthly father, if he's asked for a, uh, a fish, will give his son or daughter a snake? You know, and, and if, you're, if your earthly fathers know how to give your kids good gifts, well then your heavenly father knows that much more how to give good gifts and he will give good gifts to his children. And then there's this great scene in John chapter 21 at the end of the gospel of John after the, resurre- after the crucifixion and the resurrection, the disciples go fishing and they're out in the boat, and it says they fished all night, and they didn't catch anything. And then Jesus shows up on the shore, and you get this illustration I'm, I'm using here. You get both of these, of the father with the arms around and the father provided in, in this story, because Jesus then says at the end of this long night of, of, of empty fishing, nothing, he says, well, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. And they do, and there's this miraculous catch of fish, and John tells us it's 153 fish. So there's a big bunch of fish. But then what's beautiful, so that's the father wrapping his arms around the son and and using the cast and, and and doing it through their labor, providing for them. But then as they come up to the beach, here's Jesus with a fire already made, with fish already laid out over the fire. He didn't need the fish that they caught. He already had his own. 
And he was there to provide them with breakfast and eat with them and lavish good gifts upon them. The lavish generosity of God brings us to a place of rest, verse 2 says. He gives to his beloved sleep. How many of you tonight are out there laboring with anxious toil? Jesus says, look, the birds of the air, they're taken care of. The lilies of the field, they're clothed. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So he says, don't be frantic. Don't be running around looking for what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness because your heavenly father knows what you need. And the implication is, he's this kind of father who provides wonderful gifts for his children. Needless to say, the greatest gift that that God has provided is the sending of his son Jesus. To take our sin upon him, to take our rebellion, to take our disillusionment, to take our shame, and to give us the most amazing gift of life that we could ever ask for. Forgiveness, new life, hope, love. This is at the heart of our Christian faith. It's the glories of this wonderful good news, which we get a tiny sliver of in verse 2 of Psalm 127, that God loves to lavish his children with good gifts. So be at peace. So rest. Not only is the Father around you in your workplace, and in your home, and in your neighborhood. But he's also working for you when you fall down, and when you can't get up, and when you can't lend a helping hand. God is a wonderful, lavish, and gracious Father. My prayer for us as a community is as we step into this new season of ministry together, as there's new space created here on Sunday evenings for more servants and ownership and community to develop here, that we would be reminded of these two lessons from Psalm 127, that we're dependent, that there is no hope for us apart from God establishing the work of our hands, from God building the house, from God watching over the city. And then secondly, in our dependence, that there would be an overflow of joy Because we know the one on whom we are dependent is lavishing good gifts upon his children. Is providing for you in very specific ways through this community. The gifts that you need that will encourage you, that will strengthen you, that will challenge you. And out of that joy that will be led even more to sing and praise and worship and be meek and kind and humble and love one another and our neighbors. So remember that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And remember that he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your gifts. We thank you for so clearly teaching us about your nature and character in the sending of your Son for our sakes. Lord, I pray that you would teach us 
to rest in this, to take your yoke upon us and your burden, for your burden, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. God, infuse us with your joy because we have you as our Father, a God who cares for us and provides for us because we live in a world not of scarcity, but of plenty, a world, a creation that you have made. Lord, be glorified, we pray, as we continue to sing to you and pray to you. Fill our hearts with your joy and let your joy be our strength as a community moving into a new season together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.